Dave and I decided earlier tonight to call this April 16th, 2017, number 275. I'm sorry, number 279. So this is 279, just because of the Internet people. The Internet people, you could see heresy has invaded the church. But but uh, I'm not opposed to sugar sodas once a year. That's about all I can do anymore. But uh, if that had been diet, Dr. Pepper, I might have had some kind of competition, which, of course, Diet Dr. Pepper would have been defeated horribly and humiliating. All right, April 16, 2017, number 279, and, well, we find ourselves on another First Fruit Sunday. This really is, this year, the feast day of First Fruit. It actually corresponds to this Sunday. That doesn't happen frequently. It's mostly infrequent. Uh, there is a, some occasions where it all ends up perfectly. As you know, my position on Christ is he was not crucified on Friday. It's indefensible. It just can't be true. And those who think so otherwise, well, they just, they're just not interested in the facts, I guess, and they don't want to be. And I understand tradition triumphs over, uh, over the Bible constantly, which is a shame. But this actually is the first fruits. This is the day that Christ resurrected himself. And that makes it very important in the sense that we are actually on the correct day, the first Sunday after Passover. Now, not what was happening in that time. Passover fell on a Wednesday. As you know, Passover was Thursday this year, and that makes today the first Sunday after the weekly Sabbath or after pass in the Passover week. And there we have first fruits. As you all know, the feast day of first fruits, again, chosen by Jesus. This is the free feast day. Of all the feast days, this is the one that I want to uh, resurrect myself on. He is the I am. He's the ancient of days. And he chose this day to resurrect himself. John 2.19. I mentioned John 2.19 because that is where Christ says definitively, as clearly as he can, I will resurrect myself. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he was speaking about his body. He said, I. Now, why would he do that? Well, he anticipated that the church would not know he is God. He's omniscient God. He's outside of time. He would understand that the church at some point would not teach his deity, wouldn't he? That's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons that I like the best. So he made it as clear as he could he could make it, that he raised himself. Now, the Father raised him and the Holy Spirit raised him, all three of the triune Godhead, were present in the resurrection of Christ. But again, to exclude him from it is what we call heresy. It's very important that you know that. Comedy is hard, as you know. And so when somebody provides me something, that's just really wonderful. It just can't get better than that. Anyway, over the years, I've stressed the seven feast day pattern, the sign of Jonah, the seven sayings from the cross. Simeon the Cyrenian is an example. Christ's absolute authority over his crucifixion. He was in complete and total control. I was watching the other day on television where we had a Jewish um, rabbi leading a Passover service, a Seder, and simultaneously on screen they had the, uh, the Catholic stations of the cross. And it was really a sad thing because neither side knew what was true. 
The Passover Seder is being given, and they don't realize that that is completely marinated in Christ typology. And the 14, 15, whatever, how many stages they have now, because they keep changing, has no idea that Christ was in complete and total authority over his own crucifixion. That crucifixion procession went exactly where he made it go at the exact time he made it, he had it done. So I've done all of that for years and more. It's been a long so-called career. And all of you are aware of all of that. I know most of you are. And it's of great value. It's extraordinary, those subjects. It's incomparable. Those are the, those are the resurrection subjects. As opposed to, how many churches, well, I'll rant just a second. I gotta kill time for the prime rib. How many Easter egg hunts have you seen churches do? It just stuns me. The last place there should be an Easter egg hunt is in a church on on first fruits. But anyway, done with that. So all of those subjects that I just mentioned, they're incomparable truths that are proved the Godhood of Christ. And clearly these elements were given to us to demonstrate who Jesus Christ really is. The Bible is, is, testifies almost on every verse that Jesus Christ is the Lord God creator himself, infinite creator God in the flesh. And I could repeat any or all of those subjects again today, and it would be quite appropriate, as I said, and it would be acceptable to do so, and there's nothing wrong with hearing them again and again because they're so powerful. But this is also the day to investigate the truth of resurrection, the truth of immortality. When I say immortality, I said this last week or so, maybe the week before that, the scientific community has already determined without debate that death is a fallacy. Our death is an illusion. We have a tendency to think that when we die, we cease to exist. And the scientific community knows that's not possible. We will not cease to exist. That which is our being is immortal. Now, what's at stake is our destination. Do not attach the physical death of your body to the extinguishing of your soul. Your soul cannot be extinguished. It's impossible by any means. That's why uh, understanding what the physics community is doing has great value to the church. But this is the day to investigate the truth of resurrection, the truth of immortality. Again, immortality is not an issue. What's at issue is the destination of the immortality. And the very and how God defines death. Let me say that really quickly. He does not die, define death as physical death. He says, do not fear the one that merely kills the body. Fear me. It's Christ saying this. Fear me, he said. I am the one that will appoint the destination of the living soul. That is you. So the truth of immortality is, again, not in controversy. The very definition of living soul, Genesis 2-7, is what we're discussing today. And, uh, and I'm keeping up today with my current subject sequence. Because this is where we are as a general class, even though today is... Um, even though today is first fruits. I thought it'd be a good idea to begin the important discourse today on local realism. Oh, gosh, you should see your faces. It's fantastic. And 
non-locality. I might as well put non-locality up here with it. My pen is not working very well. Let me do a very sophisticated exchange. I have lots of bullets. I'm off camera. Ha! What can I get away with? This one won't open. Who has fingernails? Oh, maybe I did it. There we go. So here we are today on local realism and non-locality, or if you will, absolute determinism. And the key word being there, absolute determinism, or absolute. Uh, and that is, absolute determinism is on the other side of, if you will, this is what the debate is, Local realism versus non-locality, but absolute determinism is is going to find itself in battle, if you will, for lack of a better, with incompleteness theory, or the incompleteness theorem, and let me make uncertainty principle, I almost forgot, which is Heisenberg, for those of you, uncertainty principle. So, these are in conflict, and these are in conflict, and that's what we're going to take a run at today. And I've been covertly inserting this subject material for some time now, I would say almost a year. I've been sliding it in, hoping that eventually you'll become comfortable with it. How come I've been doing that? Because I knew at some point we were going to discuss resurrection, and this is how you do it at least how you should be aware of. And, and the, as I've inserted it, the response has not been enthusiastic, to say the least. The entire congregation goes to help in the nursery. So Lori says to me, can you please do this because I need nursery help. So that's part of the process. It, it, it's mostly just me and the vast Internet audience. And it's long been the case, especially recently, though, that the church has had open contempt for these kinds of subjects, open loathing for complex reasoning, both, both biblically and otherwise. The church of today, Revelation 3.16, the vomit church, has submerged itself in the muck of the simple, and it, and it loves the simple, and it will not crawl out. It will go down into doom with the simple, is what it will do. We are in that time of the, uh, of the age of the Gentile. The church today scorns knowledge and wisdom, Proverbs 1.22. And in my, my uh, estimation, the horizon has been reached, or I'm sorry, has been breached. In other words, we have now gone past the place where we can return. The church is so immersed in simple that it doesn't even recognize that it is simple anymore. And it cannot even, it can't tell the difference between simple and very simple. In fact, it will promote the simple as wisdom now. That is a biblical prophecy. And again, in my opinion, we've reached the the place of no return in the or the horizon, and the church will accelerate into the morass of ignorance. And the process is not going to be stopped. There is no hope for the church, Revelation 3.16. 
of the end of the age of the Gentiles. Now, Isaac Newton, first off, Isaac Newton thought that his greatest intellectual work was his treatise, his commentary on the book of Revelation. He was most proud of that than anything he ever did, and he should have been. I just imagine a man in the late 1600s wrestling with the book of Revelation essentially by himself. Maybe the, the most intelligent, in, the highest intellect post-Solomon in the history of the world. But Isaac Newton believed that gravitational phenomenon was the action of a, an intelligent agent. In other words, he attributed gravity to God. He said gravity is something that God does. And therefore, it was instantaneous. That was his position on gravitational theory. Albert Einstein came along and believed that the effects, uh, that effects, any effect, could not exceed the speed of light. As you know, E equals mc squared, energy, mass, light squared. Einstein said that any effect that you have could not, that effect could not exceed the speed of light. On the opposite side, Isaac Newton said, no, gravity is an effect, a force, if you will, that is instantaneous and God is doing it in an instantaneous way. Einstein, to repeat, no. Einstein says, no force, no effect, effect, can exceed the speed of light. So you see where we are in this discussion already, I hope. All influences are limited to the speed of light. And ultimately, Einstein developed the principle of locality. Local realism, I should call it locality, to make it clear to people who watch. He said, this is true versus non-locality. What does that mean? He developed the principle of locality. An object is only directly affected by its proximate surroundings. In other words, that if I have an explosion, only that which is in the environment of the explosion can be affected by the explosion. That is the locality position or the principle of locality. An object only directly affected by its proximate surroundings. And if someone, if something has been disturbed and the cause of the disturbance is undetermined, Einstein said, in other words, we see a disturbance, but we don't know what disturbed it then it must be an undiscovered factor or a so-called hidden variable. So this is all language that I'm trying to get you to understand on first fruits. Because this is a discussion of your body resurrection. Hopefully I'm beating that into you. So there was Einstein. Principle of locality, causality, causality if you wish, is a local event. Quantum physics now comes along. In the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, we have Max Planck, we have Werner Heisenberg, Neil Bohr, and John Bell, eventually. Now, I could ask you how many of you, granted, I took these subjects when I was pretending to go to college. In my misspent youth, I did it. I might have been punished for that joke because it, I spilled it on the back of my Easter shirt. 
But Easter is a Babylonian word, and it's it's pagan. And so if I destroy a pagan shirt, it's perfectly okay. But you laughed at the joke. It was worth it. When I turn around, you're really going to laugh. Comedy again. You just can't get enough of it in the pastor business. Is the pastor really, is it really a business now? It is. It is a business. I saw a joke was sent to me by the lovely daughter that was a, a guy making fun of the of what churches are doing today. It's disgusting. How they manipulate their congregation to make money. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Quantum physics. Heisenberg, Bohr, John Bell. If I asked you, who is John Bell? Don't raise your hand here. I'll just look at your faces. Does anybody know who John Bell is? There's a couple of people smiling at me that know, and that's fantastic. That's why you're here, in case you were wondering how weird you were. John Bell and Heisenberg and Niels Bohr and Planck, they recognize that quantum physics is in opposition to Einstein's principle of locality. In other words, uh, quantum physics violates locality and local realism that Einstein put into place. And, and mostly that's a classical physics position and no longer a quantum physics position. Let me say this to you. You may not recognize the verbiage, but eventually you will, I hope. Entanglement of two electrons or photons, for example, seems to suggest that information is going to travel instantaneously. And if that's true, that's an extraordinary truth. That's enormous, the implications, if true. It's another proof, if you will. I'll just say this definitively. Entanglement, instantaneous communication of information is an enormous proof that Jesus Christ is the God of creation. It's just another proof. It's something we should expect. The whole Bible is proof of it. But now here comes the physics community in the early 1900s figuring out eventually that Einstein was incorrect with regard to locality. Actually, there is a way for, for locality to be real but it requires absolute determinism. What do I mean by absolute determinism? Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. Absolute determinism is completely, totally opposed to everything the Bible says. And by the way, oh, I already have one from last week. It really doesn't count. By the way, absolute determinism is trumpeted by what particular religious Philosophy, evolutionary, monism. Evolutionists say there is absolute determinism. The Bible says no. The evolutionist says local reality. The physics community is saying non-locality. Anyway, the implications of non-locality, of information traveling instantaneously, is fantastic proof that Christ is who he said he is, because he discussed it. He would know he's the one doing it. He is the last Adam. He is the light of life. He's the I am. He's the breath of life. 
I'm getting ahead of myself here a second. All things eventually are going to testify who Jesus Christ really is. The rocks will cry out. The rocks scream, Luke 1940. Uh, Everything that we see in the physical reality testifies that Christ is God. That's its point. That's its purpose, Romans 1.20. You would think that the church would be interested in the crying rocks, but it's not. I have to be more careful now. See if I can execute this. Barely. Oops, I put it first. If quantum mechanics, quantum, I'm sorry, if quantum entanglement is true, then either physical realism, which is our reality, you look around and you see things physically, you're focused on physical things, and you think physicalism is real, and if entanglement is is true, then physical realism or physical locality isn't true. That's a big deal. Again, what is physical locality? It says that if there is a force, a disturbance, it must have a local aspect to it. And it must travel below the speed of light in order for the physical reality that we look at to be the case. And what Again, entanglement is the quantum physics theory that particles at incredible distances, uh, galaxies apart, are entangled. In other words, they're communicating with one another. We'll discuss how they're communicating in the weeks to come. That's why we have to give you prime rib. But they're communicating. Particles are communicating, and they're communicating instantly. There are, again, enormous. The communication is at superluminal speeds, far beyond that of the speed of light. And if that's true, and the physics community will tell you that every indication is that it is true, then Einstein's alternative theory of gravitational, his entire gravitational phenomena, his entire general relativity, all of that which we accept as as uh, correct, is absolutely wrong. Einstein's general relativity surrenders to the principle of physical locality, and locality is the key component, in my opinion, of general relativity. And local causality is essential to general relativity as well. All effects must be, effects, I'm sorry, must be subordinate to the speed of light. That is the foundation of relativity theory. And to repeat, why am I repeating this? Because I know how long it takes to get it. And my goal is for you to get it. Quantum entanglement says the opposite. No, reality is not local. Causation is instant at remote distances. That is big news. Really big news. So what that means, and let me put it this way as best I can, reality is what we, as we know it. See, you're looking around at things. You're looking at your chairs, at the carpet, at the holy dry erase marker, at the superior uh, chemical aspartame thing. And you're saying that's reality. Does God share your view? What does the Bible say is reality? What does it say? It says that we will, at the end of the age of the Gentiles, will we worship the reality or will we worship the non-reality? 
Let me put it another way. Will we worship the creator or will we worship the creation? What is reality? Those of you who took philosophy class are going, I heard this before, I didn't like it then. Reality, then, if there is no, if reality is non-local, as quantum entanglement, as quantum physics is saying, then reality is reduced to two options. Option number one, superdeterminism or absolute determinism. Cover that in a second. Option number two, no physical theory exists that can explain reality. Did you hear that? I hope you did. The scientific community has come to the conclusion that no physical theory can explain reality. Let me try it again. Superdeterminism is the complete absence of will. There is no free will of any kind anywhere. Everything is random. There is only absolute predetermination. That's Einstein's theory. That's its natural end when it's carried out logically. And that opposes John Bell. John Bell's theorem that no physical theory can account for the prediction, predictions of quantum mechanics. In other words, all that remains, if no physical theory can explain our reality, Einstein tried to explain our reality and he had to do this. He had to say there is no free will in the reality. John Bell says, no, that can't be true. Because there is no physical theory that can predict what quantum mechanics has discovered. In other words, all that's left is a supernatural explanation for what we think is the reality. There is no physical theory that can explain what we have. There's only a supernatural one. Again, you would think the church would be at least slightly aware of Bell's theorem. The scientific community calls it the most profound in all of science. Because it says there is what? No physical explanation for you. Nothing can physically account for this reality. The only explanation is a spiritual one. And especially on today, the feast day of resurrection, when the one who describes himself as the resurrection and the life resurrected himself today, if you want to transmit it back in time, if you could. It's not again, the resurrection occurred on the Sunday after Passover, but Passover during the crucifixion week was on a Wednesday. Christ was clearly crucified and gave up his life on Wednesday. Don't forget Matthew 27:53. I didn't say it, but I thought it. So uh, take it off. Matthew 27:53. What's that? That's when people came out of the graves. Long dead people came out of the graves and went into the beloved city Jerusalem to testify of the resurrection. And that occurred after the resurrection of Christ, says it definitively. There's some argument over that, but uh, I think you'll find that it is after the resurrection of Christ. And the resurrections are particularly significant. Theirs are, because they're long dead people. They've dissolved. Their bodies are dust. 
They opened up uh, the uh, coffin recently of someone. I can't remember a long dead king. And there was four or five bones left and a bag of dust. Completely gone. Body dissolved into dust. So that's what these Matthew 27:53 people were. They were people who had dissolved. Their physical bodies dissolved. And resurrection, Christ says, I am the only one who can resurrect anybody. No one can resurrect anyone but me. It's impossible to resurrect except unless you're me. That gets in a discussion of the Antichrist resurrection, which we've covered, right? So you know all of that. Resurrection is something that God can, only God can accomplish. It requires reanimation of dust and the subsequent recombining of the formed dust with its living soul. There is no physical theory that can do that. Physical theories cannot come up with a resurrection. Again, reanimation of the dust and the subsequent recombining of the form dust with its living soul. What is he doing? What is Christ doing when he brought those people out of the graves and sent them into Jerusalem? Those people that were dust. What did he do? Exactly what he did in Genesis, right? He took the dust, he formed a human body, and then what did he do to it? He blew the life, this living soul, back into it, except the living soul still had its information. How do I know it still had its information? Because you cannot destroy information. That is a fundamental principle of Scripture. It's a living soul. Information theory. When we study John Bell, you can't help but study information theory. What do they say? Information cannot be destroyed. Absolutely the exact same principle that the Bible teaches. Perfectly. As opposed to this. You've heard me rant and rail for years now on Isaac Newton against Albert Einstein. I know Newton is right. How do I know he's right? Because he's saying things that the Bible says. Einstein tried to come up with a physical theory. There is no physical theory that can explain, predict, analyze, discover, determine. Resurrection can't be done. None. So, there you go. Today is the day we celebrate Jesus Christ demonstrating sorry, that he is the creator God in the flesh replicating, repeating exactly Genesis 3. Next week, more Einstein, Podolsky, Rosen Paradox versus Isaac Newton and John Bell. Don't be late. What will we feed those who come? Ribs. That's working. That's getting me to come with a good attitude. Okay.